welcome to Sacred Justice, a podcast that features discourse rooted in the pursuit of justice as sacred practice. Our weekly discussions reflect on current events, art, media, theology, and how they intersect with the movements for freedom and liberation. We hope that through these conversations, we can foster inclusivity by expanding our learning opportunities. We hope to cultivate digital community beyond the confines of our campus. And we hope to reconnect the church's social and spiritual callings. Join us for the journey. Well, welcome back to Sacred Justice. It has been a while since we've been here for various reasons that we'll get into on the show today. But this this podcast, for those of you who might be new, is really just about weekly discussions where we reflect on current events, art, media, theology, and how it intersects with the movements for freedom and liberation. And so we hope that through these conversations, we can foster inclusivity by expanding our learning opportunities and cultivate a digital community that goes beyond the confines of our campus. So welcome back to Sacred Justice. I'm Mia McLean, and I am here with... Ben Boswell. Ben Boswell. So first of all, Ben, welcome back from uh, your excursions. For three months away, you had some wonderful experiences. Tell us a little bit about sabbatical and and things you learned and discovered and places you traveled and all the stuff. Oh, well, my wife, Andy, and I went on a honeymoon to St. Lucia, which was one of the most beautiful places I've ever been in the world. And we stayed in a beach resort that is nestled between the two largest mountains in the Caribbean, volcanic mountains, the Grand Pitons. Le Petit Piton and the Grand Piton right next to each other. And uh, just were there for uh, seven days together, soaking up the sun and really enjoyed it. It was a beautiful trip. It was uh, one of the best trips I've ever been on. It was fantastic. We had a great time. Came back from that and um, took my daughter Lucy to New York for her birthday. She turned 12. We went to New York City. We uh, went to the M&M store in Times Square three times. (laughs) And, uh, you know, because that's where she wanted to go. And we went, we also saw three Broadway plays. We saw uh, The Lion King. We saw Hamilton again. And we saw Six, which is a fun one. I would highly recommend. And about Henry VIII's six wives and a revisionist story of, of from them. <laughs> it was great. And we had a blast. And then, um, you know, took a trip to Asheville, spent some time with mentors in Asheville went to the beach here, um, you know, had some time to um, to reflect on my work, but also just to reconnect. It really felt like the thing people don't realize about sabbatical is not just the rest for, for the person who's taking the sabbatical, but the family of the person taking the sabbatical and how much is, you know, connect, how much reconnection can happen. So I spent a lot of time with my, my brother, my dad, my mom, uh, you know, my wife, you know, Lucy, uh, friends and family I hadn't seen in a while. So it was really, it was a good a time of reconnection and got the chance to really reconnect with my own soul because the work is so constant all the time. It's really easy to get out of touch with yourself, who you are, 
what you care about, what your calling is. So I really am super grateful to the church for the time to get away for the Hunter family and the endowment that provides for that. And I would highly recommend every church in America, all the pastors who listen to this podcast and all the churches who listen to this podcast uh, should hear this story. The Pat Hunter who created this endowment read an article in a magazine by a pastor talking about his sabbatical. And then he decided to create this endowment based on that article where he was reading about a pastor's exhaustion. And uh, he's he, this is my first sabbatical in my whole career, 20 year ministry career, life changing. Every organization, not just churches, every every law firm, every bank, every organization should be giving their uh, employees a sabbatical. Uh, you can figure out all the time and how often it should be and what the stipend should be. But everybody should be doing this. So highly recommend Mia. Good, good. Well, uh, we're excited for you and. And excited to have you back so that we can banter, um, have some banter. So, you know, there's so much happening in the world. At the time we are recording this podcast, Mm. um, the obvious sort of major news cycle things, reproductive health justice, mass shootings, all the things Mm. that are just kind of constantly in the news. Are there any other current events that are percolating, things that are really kind of sitting with you that you wanted to uh, share your thoughts on today as we shift into a new season of of life? Uh, not quite out the pandemic, but hope. there's a little bit more hope for getting to a place of um, not as much panic and chaos around that, but there's so much panic and chaos around other things. So what's mm. coming up for you? You know, there's so much, right? I, I just finished, you know, preaching a sermon about the shootings, and 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 that's always on my mind. And the more I learn about that, the more the more angry I get. And I had to stop. I just had to stop listening to the to the testimonies of people on the ground, uh, the children calling 911 in Uvalde, family members of those who lost loved ones in Buffalo, the funerals. I, it just it's too much. I mean, can't you just can't let yourself get sucked into the, the whole, I think it's almost like a spectacle of death. I, I don't know that it's leading to any substantial change. I'll be pleasantly surprised if it does. I'll be working for that myself, pushing for that. But I, I think it, we turn it into, because we don't know what else to do, right? We feel helpless. And so we turn it into the news cycle, turns it into this spectacle of death. And I just don't think that's helpful for anybody. So I, I'm kind of trying to take a break from that right now. Good. Not to mention, if you, you think about, you got the spectacle of death in Ukraine, you got the spectacle of death at home. Um, one of the things I did last night, and some of y'all are going to judge me for this, but that's okay. I, I, this is what this podcast is for. But my wife said she wanted to watch the George Carlin documentary that's on HBO. If y'all don't know who George Carlin is, you need to know about George Carlin. Uh, George Carlin is a countercultural comic, one of the most important in American history. And George Carlin has this great bit. Like, so everything, let me just summarize. Like, Carlin was way ahead of his time. And every, every one of his comedic bits was, like, about so- social life and politics. And, and he, had, he also got arrested and banned for cursing too much during his things. You know, how we don't take care of children. We don't give health care to the elderly. All these things about our country. And he said, but you know what we're great at? We can bomb you to smithereens. We're great at war. You know, that's the one thing we're great at. And I thought, wow, so that's, I mean, that's true now. Like, look at, look at the world we live in today. Uh, we're really great at war and we're really not great at much else. Uh, and so I just thought Carlin was ahead of his time. So I've been thinking a lot about like, what is the old wisdom that's out there that people have been talking about for a long time that we need to go back and 
you know, relook at. And uh, so that's, that's part of what's on my mind. Uh, thinking about, <clears throat> you know, reproductive justice. I, I'm, I'm also now I'm already thinking about well, what do these midterms look like for the, for the future of our country? And what is this summer? We're already, we're not even, it's just not even summer yet. And we're already in total full on panic around mass shootings and shooting violence and crime and all this other stuff. And we hadn't even, it hasn't even gotten hot yet. And anybody who studies crime statistics knows that the hotter it gets, the more crime there is, Mia. Yeah, I know. I'm from New Orleans. <laughs> That's right. It's hell down there. That's why it's so violent. <laughs> uh, well, especially in the summer, I think, you know, there's a lot more violence in the summer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, just hearing you talk about the news. So, I think I had a revelation yesterday when you were talking about the the type of news that our particular congregants watch. I had never really thought about that. And I started thinking about the disconnect because I did not grow up watching national news, right? We didn't have cable. So all you had was four, five channels, four, six, eight, 12, and 26. And that was like your major, like, a B the regular ABC CBS, CBS NBC, NBC yeah you know Fox but like regular Fox not like Fox News yeah. just like regular like and the news cable ended. access PBS and a cable access station <laughs> yeah so the news the news was from like eight to nine in the morning five thirty mm-hmm. to six maybe and you, you might have had like a little bit of national news in there but it was like an hour or two a day there was no way you would just sit in front of the TV the whole day and have a constant replay of news. My first experience of sort of like the news taking over the TV was when Princess Diana was killed, Mm. right? Mm. And like everything was, you know, taken over with that. But eventually that ended. So we had no control over that. It wasn't like we were opting into an all-day news thing. It just became that. And I remember when other little major not little major, but other major events like the bombing, the Oklahoma City bombing happened. But if you didn't have cable, the news ended when it ended and it was, you you went on to watch like, you know, Touched by an Angel or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. move so, on. Yeah, and so most of what we were watching was local news. And so our worldviews were very much shaped around what was happening in New Orleans. Somebody got murdered, somebody got shot, somebody got mugged. Like, you know, it was very much like the day-to-day chronic crime that was in that was and still is in New Orleans and getting worse, right? And so I've been thinking about that lately. Like the only news that I subscribe to is NOLA.com. Because mm. I like to know what's going on at home. And so every day I'm getting these reports. Three people were uh carjacked yesterday. Two people shot up at a graduation. A grandmother died. I'm, I'm getting these constant like local news things. Mm. Um, and so I guess my view of news is not global dominant, if that makes sense. It's not yeah. national dominant. I, I mean, of course, obviously, I'm I'm hearing these things. I mean, I'm on Twitter. I'm on all the social media. So you're hearing these breaking news stories, but it, that, it's not exclusive to national or global news news and so i've been thinking a lot about how that has shaped my you know expectation of myself in the pulpit or in ministry i just um i'm mm. very much like locally focused not mm. that the other stuff doesn't matter i just oh um, yeah that's good local focus is always good especially for local local church church yeah. is supposed to be local right but it's a challenge because if everybody else is kind of taking in this diet of like 
24 hours. I will never forget the first time I really, we didn't have cable until I was 17, but the first time I really sat in front of the TV for like 18 hours was when Katrina happened because I was just fascinated and wanting to know. And one of the things we noticed, we eventually had to turn it off because they kept repeating the same stories over and over again. Mm -hmm. So the same, you know, bits over and over again. So we weren't really getting new information. We were just getting information over and over again. And I realized how toxic that was. And we eventually, all of us were in Georgia, had to turn off the TV. And so I'm just kind of very resistant to the way we take in news and how that can affect our mental health, but also how it spills over into church and the expectations of church and the expectations of pastors. Yeah, that's what I'm I'm thinking about today. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's like we've, we've had 40 years of, of 24-hour news. But it didn't start out the way it started out back in the, you know, when CNN first started a 24-hour news station in 1980. That's like, that's not what we have now. Now we have every, we have many, many 24-hour news stations and and they're literally playing news over and over again for 24 hours. So like, I, I think we're in a place where I just, I think people have gotten sucked into a media cycle that is unhealthy and it, I think it contributes to the feeling of paralysis that we feel about our political and social situation. I think the news, it, it's, it's committed to the status quo, we know, because most of the major news stations are owned by, you know, corporate executives, you know, massive billionaires, et cetera. And, and so because they have, they, they have a commitment to the status quo of maintaining things, they're not presenting the news to us in a way where we are receiving new information that could help lead us into action or receiving the information in a way that would that would help us go out and change the world in a positive direction and there's only you can't do anything with 24 hours of news what what can you do like you (laughs) you just it just sucks you into a vortex and it's similar to kind of the way the internet works which is what part of what is radicalizing these these shooters um and I, I think people are not as conscious about what they're consuming and so and, and what that impact of what that's having on their souls and their lives and their livelihood and their politics and the way they think about the world. If you watch 48 hours, 48 hours of straight news, you are going to think that the world can't be changed, that nothing can happen, that everything's going to hell in a hand bit. And that, you know, and it's going to what I think it causes is the kind of a, a kind of anxiety that we don't talk about like a news related anxiety, a chronic news related anxiety that are, we don't talk about how that impacts us. You know, I I think about the people coming to church on the one hand, I think it's unhealthy to come to church and imagine you're not going to hear about current events in the world because I think you're trying to spiritual bypass and to live in this kind of spiritual transcendence world and just give me something, you know, sweet and happy to make me feel good. Right. You're just coming to church for a, for, for opium. You know, mm-hmm. um, whereas others, you know, but then others who are coming with the demand that you say something and the demand that you say something that hasn't been said in the last 24 hours of the news cycle that they've been consuming. That's unrealistic, too. Right. Because unless I've watched all the CNN that you've watched and all the MSNBC that you watch. And if I'm doing that, I'm probably not being a very good pastor if mm-hmm. I'm sitting around all day watching news instead of writing my sermon and and, and doing the work of ministry. Yeah. So I, I think it's an unrealistic expectation to either A, imagine it's going to be spoke about every week or B, imagine that you're not going to hear anything about it. And, and, and not just coming 
to whoever the pastor is to say, you have to talk about current events. You have to talk about the one that I want you to talk about. Right. That's right. Yeah. You know? One that I'm focused on. I'm focused on Ukraine and not Yemen. I'm focused on Uvalde and not Buffalo. I'm focused on yeah. the thing that, I, that the, the news cycle has told me is the most important event. So, yeah. Whew. Well, there's so much more to say about that, but <laughs> on a different note, but related, there's so much terrible stuff happening in the world, but there was some beautiful stuff that happened this year mm. as it relates to entertainment. And so what were some of the things that you watched on your sabbatical mm, mm -hmm. or listened to? Um, and I say this, okay, side note, I say this because people watch a lot of news. What would their, what would their, uh, what could they be watching in lieu of the news that's just as impactful that might be actually inspiring or what could they be listening to mm. right um so what are some of the things that uh shows or movies or things you saw that were just really um hitting home as it relates to what's happening around us in the world well there were there's a bunch of stuff so let me i'll summarize and then i'll focus on the big ones but i created a discipline for myself each day where i listened to one of the greatest the 40 greatest jazz albums each day. And I got this list curated to me from a number of jazz musicians who are friends of mine, some of whom have played at our church. And I said, what's your, what's the list of the top greatest jazz albums? So every morning I listened to one of those albums, start to finish all the way through. And I also read poetry every day. And I found all these poets that I like. I made a list of all my favorite poems that I read in sabbatical. So I have this amazing list of poems and deeply inspiring to me. And what that helped me do was to slow down. And one of the things I noticed is that the pace of, of consuming news information and other information is so rapid that it's hard to, hard to appreciate anything deep, right? So the long articles, you skip over them to go to the quick little sound bites, the quick little piece, instead of trying to get into the, um, you know, the deep, meaty stuff. And I was able to do some more deep poetry reflection, musical listening, all, all during but also the television watching, I was able to be more choosy, more selective, um, and really focus on the things that I, I wanted to invest my time in. And one of those was uh, Station Eleven, which is an amazing show. And I know you like that show too, Mia. I do. And, and another one is Severance. We're going to have to save that one. But let's, we got to talk about Station Eleven. Yeah. So uh, I don't know where you want to begin with this, but if, if folks have not seen this HBO show, it's based on a graphic novel that was written back in 2013 mm -hmm. that was about a pandemic. Oh, my gosh. How is this author writing about a pandemic, a worldwide pandemic, a worse pandemic than the one we've experienced? Uh, Emily St. John Mandel. Uh, I, I'm sorry. 20, 2014 it was written. This pandemic wipes out all but one percent of the population. And the, this is what the novel is about. Spoiler alert. So if you haven't, if you haven't watched it, just stop this podcast, go, go watch, watch it, it. and right. then come back. Cause don't get mad at us because you haven't watched it yet. It's been out since January or December or something. I don't know. And it's only one season. So it's not going to take you a long time. Yeah. What is it like 10 episodes? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I would, when, we, when Andy and I sat down to watch this, I had read a bunch about it and I thought, okay, it's going to be another dystopian show, right? And like, like uh, Walking Dead or one of the many other dystopian movies about zombies and 
a pandemic or whatever that had been going on for 20 years now. Um, and so I was, um, and those shows are very captivating, a lot of them, because, you know, crisis is captivating. Mm. So I was expecting to be captivated. But what I wasn't expecting was to be um, captivated in such a humane way. And what I what I mean by that is I felt like the character development uh, of the show from the very beginning just sucks you in to fall in love with these characters. And then I thought I was going to watch a show about how awful the world is. Your most dystopian shows are like how everything's going to hell in a handbag. How do you survive? It's all about survival. But but the novel, of course, is all about how survival is insufficient. That's one of the quotes from the prophecy, which is the, the graphic novel. Survival is insufficient, right? And so I thought that was like, to me, that's sort of the overarching meta narrative of the whole show. Here they are trying to survive in this pandemic, but instead of just surviving, they create a new world. They build, they're building a new world. They're thriving. So I don't know if you want to jump in there, Mary. I don't want to steal all the, all the fun here. I did not read the book. I didn't know anything about it. I don't think I knew anything about it. I said, what is this thing on HBO Max? I said, let me watch it. And the episode opens and, you know, this man dies on stage. And I'm like, this is weird. <laughs> What's going on? Okay. And then this other man is talking to this little girl and bringing her home. And then he gets his phone call from his sister, but we don't really know what they're talking about. And because I had not read the book, I didn't know necessarily that a pandemic was about to come Ooh. and then of course like by the end of or close to the end of episode one we're seeing that this is what's happening you know this pandemic is happening but even still because i had not read the book i i was like oh this is you know this was written in response to the pandemic i thought somebody wrote this like Ooh. in 2019 or 2020 or something like you know 2020 and yeah yeah i was like oh this might not be good and then i started <laughs> I kept watching. I was like, this is interesting. The thing that got me is when at the end of episode one, they mm. flip to 20 years in the future, which we didn't realize. I didn't realize it was 20 years, but I'm like, what is this girl's laying on the grass? She's reading a book. <laughs> it was it was a lot of uh, it was a lot of what's going on. The, the airplane crashed. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So yeah. I was I was intrigued and also like. It, it was just so, um, it just took us back to a place at the beginning of the pandemic, the, like the initial episode, this place mm. of panic, like getting the way he got all that, those groceries and we were mm -hmm. around here, like couldn't find toilet paper and the right. kind of panic. But it also took me back to a place that I kind of miss, which is mm. strange, but you know, there was something at the very beginning of the pandemic, it was, it was terrifying, but it was also, um, for the first time, many of us got to sit down mm -hmm. and rest and rest. I mean, even though we were working hard, mm. it was still, it, it was a different experience that most of us have never experienced before. None of us, many of us, particularly on this staff have never had a job where we could work from home. No, no. I mean, I've we, never. We, without a pandemic, we never would have. Right. So I, I, there were elements in that first episode when I was like, oh, that was kind of, that was kind of fun to like buy all these like fattening foods or not fattening, yeah. but all these like, you know, junk foods and, and, and then, go home and, and just hole up and like you're in a snowstorm, you know, yeah, and because the first month, 
yeah, the first month was kind of cool. I mean, yeah. it wasn't. People died, but then, you know, it was also like, oh, this is what it feels like to drink coffee on my couch and not take it to go. And there were some. Right. And there were people like giving each other toilet paper and taking care of each other. There was mutual aid happening. It was natural. People taking care of each other in the grocery store. Mm -hmm. There was all this like, oh, like people can come together and band together. I actually was more hopeful at the beginning of the pandemic than I was in a long time about the potential future of America. That has all been proven false, of course. Yes. But but that hope at the beginning was like, oh, my God, maybe maybe this is what it what it takes. Maybe it takes a war or a pandemic for America to come together, you know, in some capacity turned out not to be true, but it was really a hopeful moment. Um, I love in that first scene. So just so folks are what there's a death on the stage. Uh, a guy named Arthur is performing King Lear. And that one of the things about the show is the connections between all the characters that you find out later, but a man named Jeevan or Jeevan is watching uh, his friend Arthur perform and uh, goes backstage to say hi to him and runs into this little girl who apparently needs a, needs somebody to take her home, you know, because everybody's kind of freaking out about what happened to Arthur. And actually what's happening is the pandemic is starting. I don't know if you remember the little coughing that's happening in the theater as they're starting this mm -hmm. performance. You can hear people coughing. And uh, so this guy, um, you know, walks this little white girl home from the, <laughs> from the theater who was one of the actresses in the, in the play. And she's got to be what? Eight. I don't yeah. know. She's Something like so young and ends up like taking her home and can't, she can't get into the house because her parents, she doesn't know it at the moment are dead, you know, and the door is locked. She can't get in. There's nobody there. Even once they figure out how to get in, Jeevan's like, I can't leave you here alone in this house tonight. So you got to come with me. And how they negotiate that and the awkwardness of it. He doesn't even know this girl. And then she ends up like living with him and his brother, Frank, in this apartment, like this high high rise mm -hmm. apartment through the pandemic. Basically, they survived together, you know. And so mm -hmm. that was also interesting, like those decisions that we made at the beginning of the pandemic. What if we had to live with them for six months to eight months to 10 months to a year to 20 years? That because, but we didn't know what we were doing. We we're just trying to survive. Yeah. And it, it kind of worked out for them, but it was not without its consequences, right? His brother eventually dies and they yeah. leave um, and they go out into the snow to try to survive. Yeah, it that was really, I mean, it was also those, the, it was, I also had a moment where I was like, did they win or did they lose? Mm -hmm. or did the people who all died, who just have no recollection of how awful this is beyond their point of death, did they win? Because the people who survived, it's not like this. We know, no. you know, we, you know, we people are moving on like nothing happened. I mean, it's not like this. Uh, no, but the survivors no. are like the losers, really. When you think about it, I mean, right. there are beautiful moments, and they they recreate this new world. Um, but it's hard. Yeah. Well, that was the other. As you talk about recreating the new world, that's the other thing that was so striking to me. I don't think I've got a single image in my mind of a dystopian movie about something post-apocalyptic crisis of any kind movie television show where there was any hope almost all of them are about like one person heroically surviving and it's that's that's a narrative that has nothing but american rugged individualism and lifelessness in it and there's nothing hopeful about one strong man 
you know, or woman surviving. That's not hope. Hope to me is what this, this, this community that gathers the traveling symphony, mm-hmm. this, that Kristen, when she grows up, this white girl that was saved, grows up 20 years later and finds herself with the traveling symphony. We don't know right away how she ended up with them or what happened to Jeevan. We don't know any of that when we start this show. Mm-hmm. Um, but she ends up with this traveling symphony who's, who's, who's going around the Great Lakes region uh, of America uh, performing Shakespeare um, with music and acting to these little communities around a cycle and they make it around the cycle each year they get to each community and they make it around. And I thought what, what they, what they show is a profound to me, a profound image of how community would, could survive in a post-apocalyptic environment. And what would we, what would remain once the whole world goes away, what would come back? Because if you know that, then we know what we should care about here, right? Before the pandemic. And how small their world became Mm. because Mm. they were just traveling around this region. So like Michigan, Ohio, I don't know, something, you know, around maybe, but it really around Lake Michigan, those areas. Mm -hmm. Right. So their world was so small after this pandemic happened. What no airplanes flying across, you know, the nation. So it, it's such a beautiful moment. I, I was inspired throughout the series at how I was actually inspired by the shrinking of their world Mm, mm. and thinking about, we have this thing we do in this culture where there's almost like we're holding out for the next best thing, whether that's like, in dating or in, you know, Mm. a job or in something, right? We're always like looking, because there's this world is so big, right? So you can always be dreaming of like what's happening in Japan or something because it's so Mm -hmm. big, we are so mobile. Um, But when your world is that small, you just have to kind of make decisions. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's no like, oh, I'm gonna swipe left on Tinder. It's like, oh no, that's that's my only, I have three options over here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just gonna do that. It's going to be this person, right? I mean, because when you look at the people in the symphony and like they're still having children and they're still, but that's not like who they're. There's only like 25. There's only like 25 total, right? Yeah. 35 maybe. You know, um, it's fascinating. And I felt that their their survival and their productivity was connected to the fact that they shrunk. Mm, mm-hmm. yep. Their size was so small, which is interesting. When we think about our institutions and everybody's talking about church decline and how it's terrible. I actually think that like if we could figure out how to maneuver, we mm. would actually be really strong. Yeah. In a shrunken- the, rela- the relationships yes. would be stronger the smaller you get. That's what was so powerful about the community that is the traveling symphony in the show that becomes this model for post post-apocalyptic community what does post-apocalyptic community look like and how are the relationships and you know they have leaders they have they have figures but everybody has a role to play right and everybody knows what role they have to play and the difference between just traveling versus we're putting on a performance what's a performance day versus a traveling day you know and there were there they're deep connections with each other and also their hopes. They had hopes and dreams about the world and what they wanted, but they weren't they weren't grandiose. They weren't out of out of touch, ridiculous. Um, yeah, and I think there were the the 
the love they had for one another in the traveling symphony, which is almost like this band of misfits, collections of misfits from all over, you know, people with injuries, people with ab different abilities and accessibility needs, people with different talents and creativity. Um, I think about Sarah, the conductor, you know, um, and what she brings to it. Kristen as one of the lead actresses, what she brings to it. It's very, it was just fascinating. And I, I, the thing I also kept thinking about is, okay, what is it inside the human spirit, the human persona intelligence that that goes back to Hamlet and Shakespeare and King Lear after the pandemic? What is it about those plays and about art itself, right? Because it's not just the play, they're also doing music, right? They're playing music before and after the play and during the play. And and it's not entertainment, though I'm sure the people who are at the Great Lakes that are receiving it receive it as entertainment. But it's not entertainment. It becomes it's something more meaningful than that. It's it's the way in which they make meaning of their world through the lens of these texts that they've memorized, right? They've memor the only reason they can do them is because they've memorized them. There's no there's no sheet music, right? Sarah has to write the music. There's no lines. Right. You have to they have the people in them have memorized the lines from somewhere, you know, oh, well, you know, she downloaded them. Remember, remember. Oh, Kristen. Yeah. Kirsten, whatever. Kirsten. Um, yeah. She she had her little, I guess, phone or iPad. And I guess in the in the pandemic before they lost power, oh, that's right. Yeah. was like download. She's I forgot when they go back and they look at it. We remember that she downloaded this. So she's the one who has all these plays. Oh, that's right. That's right. She yeah. has this antiquated iPad. She was thing a that child actor. Yeah. yeah. He was a yeah. child actor with all that. Wow. Yeah. Mm. And they have because they have no power. So I don't know how they would. You know, they, they have a little bit of power in different places right. that they go to. You know, fascinating. I mean, it's just such a beautiful show. And it, I mean, there's definitely some danger in it. There's a, you know, the prophet, you know, and the, the army of children who are, you know, turned against the rebuilding of a new world and going back and what that means. So I don't want to give all that away for people, but there's definitely some danger. There's definitely some risk involved. I love that though. Here's the thing that I would have hated about that show is if it was all this just happy go lucky mm -hmm. pouring around going through from town to town and everything was great. And that's, that to me would have been unreal. But the fact that there is real violence and danger lurking around them the whole time they're traveling around, that makes me realize like, Oh, this is a vision of what reality could be. It doesn't mean that there's nothing that we're totally safe all the time. It means that the risk is worth it. The risk yeah. of community is still worth it. The risk of performing art is still worth it. Even if there's risk, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Whew, such a good show. <laughs> <laughs> we recommend everyone go watch that. We may have to talk about that some more because that show is just. We will. We will. So between now and the next podcast, next, you know, couple of episodes of this series, go at least watch a couple of episodes. I mean, I watched it through twice because I'm obsessed. <laughs> I probably watch it again. Uh, there's just so many nuggets in there that I um, I appreciate. I think it's really well written, Got some good art. And there's a lot of trash on TV, in my opinion, mm. these days. But this one really kind of hit it for me, so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is all for today's episode, Ben. We will talk more about the other things that you listen to and experience. <laughs> 
And also, I have to watch Severance so that we can. Talk oh, about you that. need to get into some Severance. Yes, this show. Woo! Talk about work-life balance questions that we were talking Woo! about. Severance yeah. really goes there. Yes. Well, I'll, I want to end with a line from from Station Eleven. I remember damage, and then escape. Mm -hmm. So now we're going to escape from this episode. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we'll see you all next time. All righty. Bye bye. Bye. <laughs> Friends, that was our episode this week. As always, please email your questions and your suggestions to Reverend Mia McLean at mmcclain at myersparkbaptist.org. Until next time, take care. This is Sacred Justice. <laughs> <laughs>